Hello once again and welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where every other week, Jeff and John get together to record their thoughts about a long-dead and usually pretty bad role-playing game. It's a little special time for us this week because it is our 50th anniversary. As such, we're going to go ahead and get started with Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 1st Edition, as it is known. I don't believe it was called that at the time. So uh, sit back and enjoy. It is not our 50th anniversary. It is our 50th episode. What is it's wrong with it's you? It's our second anniversary and our, our 50th episode. And You're right. No, no, I'm going to stick to this. We were recording this show since 1965. Oh, yeah. I remember back in 1965 when we were recording this and the, the only thing that we could review was that you know, that Jules Verne yeah. game for young boys and women, women of a certain type. Yeah. Whoever, whoever Jules Verne could pay to hang out with him. Because <laughs> he was history's first horrible nerd. Yeah, the well, worst. I think there were a lot of naval simulation games that existed in the, the mid-60s as well. A lot of the rules that we take for granted today are derived from those originally. Oh, yeah. So, you know, back in 1965 when all we did was review, I don't know, games about boats. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, I remember in 1965, our, our second episode, we were reviewing some boat game, and we had to pause to announce that the Bay of Pigs was being invaded. Oh, yeah, and we had to announce that because we were live on the air. <laughs> Podcast didn't exist. Of course we were live on the air. Oh, yeah, of course. It was... And welcome back to System Mastery, brought to you by Chesterfield Cigarettes. Put one directly in your baby. They're so good for him. Do it. <laughs> Get it in there. Just work it on up in that baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm one of those huge microphones. Oh yeah, just a microphone that's bigger than my head. We had like a whole backing band behind us. Had a Foley artist back there like, oh, I can't believe, cracking open this book, smacking coconuts together to indicate that our guest has arrived on horseback. Yeah. Uh, We beat a dead horse 1d6 damage at a time. Dead. (laughs) Oh, Oh, some sultry woman in a nightdress singing Begin the Begin the whole episode. That would be amazing. We should totally record a 1960s version of the show. All right. Well, that's what's happening. <laughs> All right. So, uh, as always, I'm Jeff, and this is John, the co-host. Woo! Let's do this. Yeah, I'm the uh, head host, and John's the co-host. We decided on that a while ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm the co-emperor. <laughs> the co-emperor. <laughs> Where I'm just the emperor. It's pretty yeah. great. <laughs> that co-shit made my resume look like garbage. Alright, so this week, because it is a special episode, we are recording a review of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons by the legend himself, Gary Gygax. Yes, this is the the very first edition. Gygax? It's pronounced Gyrax. Gyrax. Oh, okay. This is a legend of a book. It it kind of started the whole Advanced Dungeons & Dragons train. Uh, a, a lot. Uh, going into this book, I was super excited to determine wh- why a lot of the things in second edition and third edition are the way they are. See, the thing is, going into this book, I was like, uh, I figure I'm not going to need to read a whole bunch. It's D and D. I know D and D. This yeah. is just going to be a lot of review for me. And then it turned into a goddamn insane clown show. Oh no, you need to read every word of this book because it's whip crack changes. No, just anytime constant. I tried to skip something, I was like. Oh, what are you talking about? You're talking about, like, melee combat. I know how that works. And then just some weird, random bullshit will happen. Yeah. I don't even know what's going on. And, and he put a rule into, into virtually every paragraph of the book. So, you know, you'd be reading a, a paragraph about, like, 
This is the way that hirelings are normally hired. Oh, don't worry, there's a 16% in there. I better go in and read what that is. <laughs> uh, Can't skip that. Yeah, no, this is this is definitely influential because it also is uh of all of those role early role-playing games that were way too math heavy and it is a game that reads like an engineering textbook. Mm-hmm. So it's just Full of charts and percentages and, like, cautionary tales of how to do things. It is also the type of uh, role-playing game that has a preface, a foreword, and an introduction. And an introduction. All written by Gygax, no less. It's not like... Oh, no, the, uh... I think the preface is someone else. Oh, that's very nice of him. This book is a little tricky to read because Gygax was... What do you want to say? Florid? Sure. Yeah, uh, what's the word? Uh, Hold on, let me go get Gygax's thesaurus for everything. Well, if you used his, he'd probably use that word, Grobdignagian. There you go. That's the one. The one that means he uses a big word whenever a little word would do. He's Hippopotomonstrosesquipedaliany Grobdignagian. <laughs> Good job. You I did, did it. it. I know all the words. You did that. Anti-disestablishmentarianism. Yay. I can't do the disease one, the pneumo, ultra, silicon, whatever that is. Vulconiosis. Vulconiosis. Thank you. You knew the rest of it. Yeah. Yay. All the really big words. Yeah, them big words. This guy never uses the word because, because the word perforce exists. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then he'll just sort of randomly make a mistake. Oh, use yeah. A, use a word that he's like, this is a fancy word and it doesn't mean what he thinks it means. Yeah, the one that, there's a section where he tells you why assassins can't be, or have to be evil. And it's something like... Well, he, he killing puts in, people. He says, puts it in parentheses and he says, perforce, as the, the execution and murder of living beings and humans and other intelligent creatures is generally considered to be the antithesis of wheel. Like W-E-A-L, wheel. Yeah, no, the antithesis of a wheel. So, <laughs> so it's a square uh, on a car that doesn't it's work. A box. It's a box. <laughs> no, the antithesis of wheel, which I guess he, he thought wheel just meant good, but it doesn't. It means prosperity. Yeah, no, so, this is like, I got a wheel harvest, which is, my harvest wasn't good, it was bountiful. Bountiful, it was prosperous. So uh, there's a lot of sections where that sort of thing becomes a, a deal. But, uh, you know, it, he, I guess he just figured no one would check. The one that pissed me off the most, I might as well get it out of the way now. Ah. Uh, okay, the command spell. Famously, the spell command. It's a level one spell that you can use to basically make someone do a one-word order. Yep. You can say things like leave or sit or stuff like that, and they have to do it. Yeah, and it has been around forever. Forever. It's a first edition spell. And, and you know, I was gonna, I was expecting it to basically be unchanged. It says you can, if you tell them to die, someone can't just die because they want to. So what they'll do is just kind of fall asleep first, like around, like the closest they can get to dying. Yeah. But you can't tell them to suicide. And the reason you can't tell them to suicide, the book helpfully explains explains to us, is because suicide is a noun, and commit suicide is two words. This is incorrect. Suicide is also a verb. It has been since the 1850s. Yep. And uh, Jim suicided. I, I don't care how much you think that sounds stupid, America. It's still right. Jim suicided is a correct sentence. Also, you're a guy, Gax. You're not going to get away with, well, that's that's an old usage of the word when your entire book is old usage words. Yeah, no, perforce comes up in this book a lot. So, so for him to not know that suicide is a perfectly reasonable verb <laughs> yep. just drove me insane. By all rights, that spell should just work. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand. That he didn't want to make a spell that was like a level one spell that could just kill a guy. Yeah, although, let's be honest, using creative usage, you could still use it to just kill a guy. Oh, yeah. Get yourself up on a high tower, get him next to a window, and command them to defenestrate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, it's one word that means to throw yourself out a window. What a useful word. 
<laughs> Hooray! So, anyway, that's that's a, a regular thing in this book, is that Gygax is a little on the floor inside. Uh, when I say a little, I mean an insane, crazy amount. Yeah, and okay, so reading through his introduction thing, my... My favorite bit, and we had talked about this as well, because we have just been talking about this book like two excited scientists finding an old specimen that they are both going over. Oh, yeah. But the one where uh, Gygax is like, look, this is a game. I don't care about verisimilitude at all, which, thank you, Gygax, for not caring about anything. It's just a game. And he says, like, you know, you're not going to find any random penalties to female strength. Or penalties to male charisma. Can I, can I read the actual quote? Because oh, I think do it's it. amazing. So, so let me just get it real quick here. Naturally, every attempt has been made to provide all of the truly essential information necessary for the game. The skeleton and muscle which each DM will flesh out to create the unique campaign. You will find no pretentious dictums herein. No baseless limits arbitrarily placed on female strength or male charisma. No ponderous combat systems for greater realism. There isn't a hint of a spell point system whose record-keeping would warm the heart of a monomaniacal statistics lover, or anything of the sort. Yes, of course, first edition has nothing to do with someone who was a statistics lover. No, not this, at all. This game has nothing to do with that. Also, it doesn't. It definitely doesn't have a hint of a spell point system. Although it does have a psionics point system. I mean, let's not get let's not get crazy, right? There's there's definitely a point system in here if you want one for casting spell like things. Also, everyone knows that using magic in D and D requires no bookkeeping at all. No bookkeeping whatsoever. Also, there are no limits placed on female strength. We say here on page six. But we change our minds on page 9. Yep. When we go into the maximums for female strength and male strength. And, okay, hold on. Let's let's also just, fuck it, let's get into that real quick. So, it has the charts for, alright, well, like, if you're a halfling, this is the maximum strength you can have. And so it's got that. And then it also goes, and then females as well. So if you're a female human, you can have a maximum strength of 16. It's actually, it's actually, I think, 1850. 18-50 was... Oh, no. Like, f- fucking females that are humans are under dwarves and half-orcs, which, again, this is the other thing I wanted to bring up. Half-orcs and dwarves have a lower maximum strength than a human. <laughs> like, humans are stronger than half-orcs. No, you're right, but it's not that much of a difference. The difference is, is a <laughs> Well, maximum... I know, it's the difference between 1899 and 1800. Yeah. But still, the fact that they're like, yeah, humans, they can be stronger than half-orcs. Well, that's that's a, Great. Whole, that's a whole thing in this book, and I was kind of hoping... This is one of the big things I wanted an answer to. Now, again, I've read this book before now. I used to own this book. I, I, I started playing in second edition, so for me, finding the old first edition books and used bookstores was like a treasure trove. I'd like to read them, but I was a kid when I was reading them. I'd like, oh, look at these weird monsters. This is so strange. Why did this never make its way into second edition? Huh. What the hell is an assassin? Let's talk about that. That sort of thing. Uh, but for me, reading it now, like with a critical eye, it was mind-boggling. And, and I really wanted some answers about second edition. Why do they hate demi-humans so much? Like, like, why can't demi-humans just be things? What's the deal with the difference between dual-classing and multi-classing? That's the biggest one for me. Like, why can't humans multi-class, and why can't demi-humans dual class it doesn't there's no explanation in second edition so i wanted to go back to first edition and get my answer and the answer is there is no explanation the answer is he says it is assumed that humans will will dual class well he doesn't use the term dual class because it doesn't exist yet instead it's they're called the character that has two classes yeah uh and you know i think it's because we might get into it a little more but demi humans 
just get shit on all oh, over yeah. the place. Just and constantly. It doesn't make any sense. And multi-classing is 100% better than dual classing, especially in this. In this edition, it was, if you're a fighter and a magic user, you can be in full plate and a shield and be a magic user. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, they don't have spell failure. Point. In fact, there's a bunch of things that multi-classing just lets you get away with. Like, for example, it says a cleric has to use non-edged weapons, like blunt weapons to deal bludgeoning damage with. But a cleric slash fighter can use edged weapons. And it's like, what happened? What God was like, oh, you're half fighter? I'm cool with that. Yeah. Isn't no. that a religious restriction? <laughs> all, all of the weird restrictions that you got in any class immediately go out the window as soon as you multi-class. Yeah. So I looked at that and went, Alright, you made it so that demi-humans are essentially garbage. Yeah. Like, they are just terrible in every way, and the only benefit you get is the ability to multi-class. Well, the big reason that multi-classing is so essential to demi-humans in this game is the level cap. Oh yeah, well, there's one class for every demi-human, and it is the same for everything except for the half-orc. And the uh, cleric, I think, or the uh, half-elf, because the half-elf can also be a uh, max cleric. Uh, I don't think they get unlimited cleric? I think they can just be a cleric. I'm pretty sure it's unlimited cleric. I also am pretty sure that the female max strength is 18 slash 50, but we're going to fight about that later, sir. <laughs> sir. Sore. Anyway, you're right about it. There being one unlimited for all of them, and it's always thief. Which makes no goddamn sense to me. Like, I understand if you go, yeah, halflings, you're unlimited thief. I go, oh, that, that makes sense. That's sure. Tolkienian. Like... Alright, and if you want to say a half-orc's unlimited is assassin because you don't really have anything... Although that's terrible, because a half-orc has a terrible max dexterity. Oh, he's a fucking awful choice to be a thief or assassin in general anyways. He's literally the worst possible assassin. He has a bad dexterity and a bad intelligence. Those are the only scores that an assassin cares about. Yeah, it's it's so weird. Uh, the And then everyone else is also thief, and not like, oh, an elf, you could be... I don't know, a, a ranger. Or a ranger or something like that. No, I don't even think they can be rangers. No, rangers are specifically humans and I think half-elves. They give half-elves a lot of the stuff that... It, it makes so little sense. It's like, okay, I get your inspiration is mostly Tolkien, right? Like, let's let's be yeah. real. Let's be real here. There's some Vancey and stuff in the spell casting, but I don't think Vance had a whole lot of the whole dwarves and elves named named uh, things like uh, Thor, Thorin and so on. Instead, it's mostly Tolkien, which is why halflings make sense to be thieves and why they are fat little dudes that don't want to go anywhere, because this book still keeps them with that. Yeah. And uh, and yet, elves are stuck also being thieves, just like that famous Tolkienian elven thief, uh, Thiefion. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that's not a thing. I, I, it's so weird. And then, every other class that a demi-human can be, and there's not a lot. I mean, for example, only humans and half-elves in this game can be clerics. Uh, and half-orcs. Oh, right, well, because they're half also half-human. Yeah, and a half-orc can go up to level four. I know, what an insult. You can, cast, you can cast second-level spells and then you're done forever. You'll probably want to multi-class into this, so your character's not permanently stuck at level four, but that does mean that your fighter cleric is constantly earning half XP for a fighter for the rest of his career, which will end at level nine. Yes. Uh, it's so weird, the arbitrary points at which things end as well. well so it's like... Alright, Half-Orc stops at level 4 for a cleric, which is the biggest middle finger to just fucking give a guy who chooses to be anything. Yeah. Then other people are like, alright, you stop being a fighter at level 8. You stop being a magic user at level 11. You yeah. stop... And I'm like, okay, is there a reason for that? Because it's not like it stopped at certain breakpoints. It's not like, oh, you reached, like, 7th level spells, now you can't do anything else. It's... Alright, you're in the middle of the transition between, like, 5th and 6th level, and we'll just stop here. Yeah, it's like, 
I mean, fourth fourth level uh, cleric is the weirdest one because it's like, oh, I want half orcs to be able to cast two second level spells. Okay, but, but that's all. That's 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 the break point. At the next level, they get a third level clerical spell, and that just seems excessive. Like it's so weird. This book introduced a bunch of new classes from back in the days of basic D and D, but then restricted almost all of them to humans and half elves only. Oh yeah, well, I mean, paladins are only human, period. Yeah. Like, no one else can be a paladin. And so, same thing with the monk, which is the new class introduced in this. It's gotta be a human. Yeah, the the monk is only human, the paladin's only human, the ranger is only human or half-elf. Yeah. Like, there's so many things. Druid is also only human and half-elf. Yeah, again, like, you can't be an elven druid. What the shit is going on here? Well, it's like he he couldn't imagine those, those race class combos. Like, he was looking at it and thinking, okay, what would a dwarf... Uh, what would a dwarf cleric look like? Let's see. Heavy armor, beard, likes to fight. Uh, probably is a thief. Okay, I, I can't. I can't imagine a dwarf cleric. So clearly there isn't one. I mean, there are dwarf gods because Groom, because you know Moradin was introduced in this edition, so yeah. we know he exists. But worshippers of him are probably humans. Probably right or half elves, I guess. <laughs> it's it is just this arbitrary thing, and I I understand that he probably thought that because demi humans get special things that they should be restricted in some way. But he picked weird restrictions. Yeah, instead of it being like, oh, you gain XP slower like they did in, like, second edition where it's just you have an XP uh, issue with, like, uh, getting your classes. Or creating the the, uh, the level the level adjustment system from yeah. third edition. Yeah. Instead, he was just like, well, your character can play until fourth level, and then you can keep playing with the other humans in your party, but you're just going to be increasingly marginalized for the rest of your playing career. And it's, like, the benefits aren't insane. Like, okay, I'm a dwarf. What what do you have? Well, I've, I can apparently see the infrared spectrum, so mm-hmm. good for me. And I can detect, like, shifting stonework. Yeah, and the slope of things. And even Hold then, on, guys. This passageway is going slightly downward. This is totally worth me I, stopping at level 6. I think. I think it is. Because I have about a 33% chance of figuring that out. My favorite is the one that says it's very hard to hide secret doors from an elf because they have a 1 in 6 chance to notice it if they're looking for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's not, that's not... That's about as hard as it is to hide a secret door from me if I think there's a secret door in the room and I'm trying to find it. Yeah. I'll eventually find it. I think my chances are greater than 1 in 6. <laughs> And it's not, in this book, it's not just the elf, oh, the elf isn't even looking. If he's just walking around, he notices it. It's, no, if an elf is searching a room, he has a one in six chance. Yeah. Uh, it's... They're not that great. No. And they don't get better with level or anything like that. Like, the only thing they get that's even remotely good is, uh, dwarves, and I think gnomes get spell resist, which ends up being fairly good. Yeah, they also get a poison resist, which is great. And I think elves still have their charm immunity... Well, they're not even immune, it's just you have, like, a 90%, 90%. chance yeah. or whatever to resist. Yeah, you won't fall asleep on a 90% chance. So it's some... Okay, if someone casts sleep on you, there's a 90% chance that it doesn't work, and then you have to make the saving throw as well. So you get it in addition to a saving throw. Yeah. Which... So it's just, you're super unlikely to have a problem with it. Pretty good deal, I guess. So anyway, there's a whole ch- uh, table that tells you... This is one of my favorite things in the book, by the way. There's a table that tells you what races can be what classes. And it's a little matrix, and it just says things like, Half-Orc, Fighter, yes, level 9 maximum. Thief, yes, level 7 maximum. Assassin, yes, unlimited. And then if it's, you know, Half-Orc, Wizard, no. Okay, then it goes down to a little sidebar underneath that that says... A yes indicates that this race can be this class. A no indicates this race cannot be this class. Hooray! Really? You want to tell me what yes and no mean? 
This book is completely full of QVs stuck into parentheses. Who do knows? You, do you know what QV stands for? It means also mentioned elsewhere in this book, and it's from the Latin quad vita. Good. I'm sure that everyone reading this knew that. Yeah, I, I had to look it up, because I had forgotten. But he keeps putting uh, QVs and, and CFs in the book. And CF means see example to come, I think, and then QV means mentioned elsewhere within the book. You know what you don't need is old school literary examples dug into your book every every couple of paragraphs. I don't need to be told that armor class is also mentioned somewhere in your book every time you mention armor class. I know it will be. This is a book of rules. The problem is, it's laid out so poorly with a lot of things that he's like, look, I'm not even going to get into what an armor class is for like a hundred pages, so I just want to reassure you that I will explain what this rule is instead of just mentioning you have an armor class and going, all right, anyway... What he should what he should have is the Latin for not mentioned anywhere in this book, so he can put it on the section where he explains why he didn't put how to roll stats in here. <laughs> yeah, the when you get to the stats section, all there is is a little paragraph that says, "All right, so in the DMG, there's going to be uh, some different ways that you can roll up your character. Have your DM decide which one to use." Anyway, moving on. Yeah, and the D- the DMG didn't come out for like a fucking year in after this or some shit. Like, it was insane, which meant people got this book and went, uh, I, I guess we just roll up 3d6 down the line, which oh, the DMG then tells you, not to do, do not do this. Do, don't do that. The, uh, no, I'm sure they just went on the internet and figured out how to do it, right? Oh, yeah, that's what they did. Yeah. So what they did was they asked their local Chesterfield Cigarettes representative. <laughs> oh, come on, that was, that was back when System Mastery was in the 1970s, and all of our episodes were bootlegs put out on four tracks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're coming to you from Pirate Radio. <laughs> coming up next, another Camper Van Beethoven solo. <laughs> Whatever that is. Probably not from the 70s. I'm not very good at this. <laughs> well, yeah, also the Chesterfield cigarettes isn't a I 60s know, it's, thing. It's, 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 it's been a 40s. Been 40s. <laughs> don't don't, <laughs> Who don't cares? Care. <laughs> uh, okay, so, again, more... Uh, more dumb things that I absolutely love in character creation, which we're going to spend a lot of time on character creation because that's... Well, it's a PHP. That's what the book is. Yeah, that's all this book is. Yeah. So, uh, one of the other things is the intelligence is... Gives you just what your spell minimums are mm-hmm. if you're a wizard. So if you're a oh, magic user. A if you're magic, a magic user, magic user Yeah. Uh, then intelligence is going to be, all right, here's the minimum number of spells you can get. And then it also gives you your percentage chance... To learn spells. Yep. Because even though you have, say, five spells that you know, you have to go through and say, all right, I want to learn Charm Person. I have a 68% chance to learn that. Roll my dice. I didn't. I don't know that spell. Great. Never will. And, And can't unless you go through and have rolled for literally every spell of the level and failed to meet your minimums. So if I have a minimum spell requirement and I have a maximum spell requirement, so mm-hmm. I can have at most eight spells and at minimum four. Mm-hmm. So if I went through and just rolled like shit and I have three spells I know, I can now loop back around Start and rolling re-roll again. again. <laughs> Can't just pick one. No. That would be crazy. That's crazy talk. Because that's the only way that magic users were really limited in the old editions. Like, that's why when you get to third edition and they remove... Every restriction well, another thing, insane. Another thing was that uh, in 3rd edition, they finally said a wizard gains a level and gets two new spells. You, the uh, DM has no say in what those spells are. He just chooses them from the spell list. Make sure to pick Polymorph Other and the other ones that break the game. 
But in this, it's, you know, what spells do I learn? The ones that you find on scrolls the DM puts in the dungeon. You have no other options. And even the spells that you start the game with that you get to choose, you might even not get those. Yeah. And in addition to that, spells like Polymorph Other cause a system shock roll. Oh yeah, twice! They cause one when they turn you into something, and then again when you turn back to a human. And a system shock roll, they immediately got rid of because it's dumb. It's, it's in second edition. Yeah. But, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's this roll that's basically a chance to die whenever something happens to your body. Yep. And so it's like, oh, I got polymorphed. I roll, I have like a 50-50 shot of just dying. Yeah, it's based on your uh, constitution. And and a person with an average constitution has about a 60% chance of surviving a system shock roll. Which is why polymorph was such a great spell in this and in second edition, because you never used it on your own guys to make them into a, like, cool dragon or whatever. You used it on the enemy because you're like, either I polymorph you into something useless and then we fuck you up, or you just die from system shock. Yeah. And then I can also cancel the spell immediately and make you roll it again. Wee! <laughs> this I is... get two chances to save or die on you with one spell. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, so, oh, yeah. and speaking of con, the con bonus. That was the other thing, that uh, fighters are the only ones who get to use a high-end con bonus in this. Oh, yeah, that's right. Which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. So again, there were all of these restrictions on magic users, and then fighters were ones who were like, Look, if you want to get up to, like, plus three HP per level instead of just plus, plus one, you have to be a fighter. And it really matters, because this is a game where you do roll for every single one of your hit dice. You roll for that first one. You don't start with four hit points if you're a wizard. You start with a D4 hit points. And when you hit a certain point, which, again, fluctuates for every class, but as as soon as you hit a certain level of hit dice anywhere between, I think it was... 9 and 14 for certain classes, mm-hmm. you stop gaining dice of hit points and just gain a set amount. So if you're a wizard, once you hit like level 11 and you stop getting dice, you just get one hit point per right. level. That's actually another rule that survived into second edition. Uh, there was a, I think it was automatically at 10th or 20th level, you stopped gaining hit point dice and started gaining hit points. Yeah. So that's, that's another one. Although, again, one of my biggest hopes for going into this book was a lot of why. I wanted to know like, you know, why demi-humans are stuck on multiclassing, and I wanted to know, uh, you know, why spell failure worked the way it did. Instead, I keep finding the phrase, it is assumed that. That's in the, fr- that's in the book a lot. Um, in fact, almost every time I wanted an answer, it starts with, it is assumed that. Yeah, anytime there would be a reason for something being different, whether it's because we wanted it to be more realistic, or because we wanted it to be more for the game, or whatever it is, it will give you a, hey, don't worry about it, as it's beginning. So either a, it is assumed, or in other ones, it'll literally just go, this is a game, don't worry about it. Right. But it starts with, uh, you know, it says uh, the very beginning of both the level cap and the multi-class section start with, it is assumed that demi-humans will be multi-classing. And I just want to know why. And the book's just like, well, it's assumed. It's assumed and because is, we made it a garbage option to not do that. Those two, th- those two things, the level cap and the multi-classing, are just dysfunctional bullshit that only work in context of each other. If you remove them both from the game, it would change nothing except the game would be a lot better. Because huh. you'd be like, well, my uh, my dwarf's a fighter. That's the end of that. He can go to max level, and I don't have to worry about making him a fighter cleric just so he maximizes efficiency. He's just a fighter, and it's fine. Okay, well, what's his level cap? He doesn't have one, because that was stupid, and it only made, made sense if I had multiclassing, which I don't, so that's fine. Also, multiclass, I want to say this right, multiclassing doesn't make sense for demi-humans compared to humans being dual-class. Humans are the short-lived race, they always have been, and they are des- described as being adaptable and interested in a lot of different topics. That's what a multi-class character is. Yeah, and the difference between the multi-class and the dual-class, which we'll just call it dual-class even though they don't because it's better shorthand. The character with two classes. 
Oh. Uh, <laughs> so, if you are uh, multi-class, then you are basically the same uh, XP split between all of them evenly, and then you go up and level whenever you hit your certain points. Yeah, you're now, leveling two or three classes at the same time. So you'll be like, I'm a level one magic user, and a level one fighter, and a level one thief because I'm a half-elf, and this is the best demi-human to be because you can be three classes. Yeah. But if you're a human, the dual classing, the way that works is you go, look, I'm level five as a fighter, I want to be a magic user now. Well, I'm now a level one magic user with all the hit points of a fighter, and that is all. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I decide to put on... Now, I still have the abilities of a fighter. I can put on my heavy armor. I can use my sword. I can do all of my fightery things. But if I do that, I gain no experience because I'm not being a magic user. Uh, I'm also not gaining experience as a fighter, mind, mind you. Yeah, it, you, it, you, you decided... You get nothing. Yeah, you decided, oh, well, for now, I'm going to be a magic user. And if you stop pretending that you don't know how to fight then you don't gain experience. Yeah. The only thing that, that really... Dual class does eventually balance itself out, because the moment you go, well, I'm also a level 5 magic user now, then your character goes, by the way, I can just use all my fighter abilities, and it's not a big deal, starting now. <laughs> and, and then you're you're just both of those things, and it's great, and you're still earning XP at a normal pace for your wizard abilities. Except you still have, I can't cast spells and heavy armor. You don't get... Multiclassing gives you the whole... We don't give a fuck, we remove all the restrictions. Yeah, dual if classing a, does not. Yeah, the dual classing doesn't. It just says, oh, well, you can carry around the armor and use it without having a penalty to your XP. Mm-hmm. So you can essentially swap back and forth between your classes. Dual classing. But, sorry. Yeah, but at that point, you have to, if you're the same level or higher in something, then great, you don't lose the XP, but you still have to decide what you're using. Right. Luckily, you are very unlikely to be able to dual class even if you wanted to, because it requires a 15 or higher in the class you started and a 17 or higher in the ba- or sorry, in the uh, primary attribute of the class you started in, and then a 17 or higher in the attribute of the class that you plan to go to. So it's very unlikely that you'll roll that even using what DMG called the DMG calls method 1 which is roll 46, drop lowest, assign the way you want. Yeah, the 46 drop lowest is... That's what Gygax did. Yeah, this is generally also how most people rolled up anything. Because Although... You, you did get those DMs that were like, 3d6 down the line. Yeah, the, I don't know where that came from. It, literally, the first thing Gygax did after writing this book was wrote out a letter that was like, don't do 3d6 down the line, it's stupid. And you end up just sitting there rolling characters until you get a character you can play at all. It's a bad idea, just use 46 drop lowest, assign where you want... That's the way you should do it, so you get some variance and you actually have characters that don't suck. Even, okay, so even then, with the 46 drop lowest, the beginning of the book also has, during character creation, it says, you're supposed to be an awesome guy, you should probably have at least two stats that are 15 or higher. 46 drop lowest, you are still super unlikely to have two stats that are 15 or higher. To give you a basic idea, the bard class in this game, which I want to talk about forever. There are two things I want to talk about for like an hour each. Uh, the bard class in this game is basically a fighter rogue druid psionic. Because it's it's made by dual classing. The only way to be a bard in this game is to level a fighter to 5, then dual class into a rogue and level that to at least 5. And then, then And then you start leveling as a druid, except you're, you're a bard. actually a bard now. Yeah, you're a bard, and there are 23 levels of bards. So the max level of bard you can be is 30, level 34 or something like that, because it's, it's crazy. The It requires a 15 in all three of the primary stats, instead of the 17 it would normally require. So you need a 15 strength, 15 dex, 15 wisdom. You also need at least a 13 intelligence and a 12 constitution. Yes. And a 
ten charisma in... is the only other one. Oh no, it was like ten. It's a ten constitution, constitution and like a twelve a, charisma, yeah, something like that. Twelve charisma. The, the if you're rolling three d six down the line, it is a point zero zero zero. Two chance. That's actually to roll an unearthed arcana paladin. I've done my research on this. It's to roll a bard. So I also did the research on that. Point zero zero one seven percent. Seventeen out of every million players get to be a bard. Yep. If they choose to be a bard, and if they don't die during that part where they're a rogue during a in a six level or higher party. Also, half elves can be bards. This confuses me because because half elves can't dual class. Yeah, you I, I'm not cannot sure. Do that. <laughs> I'm not sure what the deal is. Are you supposed to level as a fighter rogue until level five and then switch over? Except you can't switch over because demi humans can't switch. It's so weird. <laughs> I, I don't understand it. Anyway, character creation we could take forever, but let's cover a few more points of character creation real quick. There uh, is a there is a low minimum break point. If you have a five or less wisdom, you have to be a rogue. Oh yeah, and that uh, there's also. Minimum, if you're minimum intelligence, you have to be a fighter. Yeah, and if you're a minimum strength, you have to be a wizard, and if you're a minimum dexterity, you have to be a cleric. Which is weird, because if you just rolled, like, balls for everything, then you have to be all the things. <laughs> it's like, I have a five wisdom and a five strength, I have to be a thief mage. <laughs> I don't have a choice. I have to be a gnomish thief mage. Also, in this thing, it has uh, resurrection survival as a stat. You don't just, if someone uses resurrection on you, you don't just get to be rezzed. You have to have a percent chance that you will be rezzed, and constitution is added to your percent chance to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So again, it made con actually useful. So again, it was one of those things for fighters uh, helping them out, because you wanted to have a high con because you were the only one that could take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. And it meant that if you died during the dungeon and they dragged your dumb corpse out and got you rezzed, you might actually come back to life. Right. <laughs> Uh, let's see, what else did I want to talk about? Uh, there's a lot of musts in the character creation system that don't seem to have any sort of follow-up. Like, uh, you know, a, a paladin must carry ten or less magic items. It just says that, and that's the end of that sentence. Yeah, uh, you cannot have more than ten. What if you do? Uh, well, you can't. But what if you do? Like, what if someone just gives you another magic item? What happens then? Oh, uh, well, then you don't accept that magic item, because you already have ten. <laughs> Except... Fuck you, I just do. It's the same oh, thing. Well, with... then you're not playing as a paladin. All of your That's... powers are gone, you're a fighter. I now. know. Paladin, it makes sense, because they can make you fall, because it's always been the mechanic. Oh, paladins fall, and then they become shitty fighters. Fighters are not allowed to build a castle until they're level 9. <laughs> what if they do? Well, what like, if they get what... a lot of gold, they're like, fuck it, I build a castle. Except what? you didn't get a lot of gold, because the DM isn't going to give you a lot of gold until that point. And the only thing is if you went like, Okay, I'm level four. I go out into the woods and I start chopping trees. I'm making myself a fortress out of logs. Yeah. Like, what can he do? What's he going to do? Well, you can't. You literally cannot build that castle. It, it, it doesn't build. The logs fall off each other, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, th- and that happens a lot. A bard must have a string instrument on him at all times. Yeah. There's must. no, there's no ore. There's, yeah, there's, there's no, no like ore of flute. No consequences. There's just, uh, there's just, if you don't have a string instrument on you, then, fuck you, buddy. Meh. That's, it just says you have to. And uh, also, if a party gets, lo- gets lost while they're in a dungeon, they have to make the- change their objective to get out of the dungeon. They have to. They don't have a choice. They 100%. Their next thing is, you have to get out of this dungeon. Yeah. It says in there, you must escape the dungeon if you get lost. Also, so, in terms of being restrictive and things that actually have penalties to them, alright, everyone can be essentially an unlimited thief, and Thief is oddly one of the more restrictive classes. 
You can't do your dumb percentage chance to do things unless you are specifically wearing thief-related armor mm-hmm. and wielding a thief-related weapon. Mm-hmm. Because if you go outside of any of the thief-related stuff, you just lose the ability. Like, if you're wearing, like, instead of leather armor, you went to, like, a breastplate. All of a sudden, you have no idea how to pick a lock. Yeah, that is very weird. I mean, I understand it's kind of a balance issue, I guess, is what they were thinking. But really, a person in a breastplate can probably still pick a lock. I mean, it's not like it's impossible. It's still something you're doing with your hands. Yeah, it's it's not like, oh, well, oh, I'm wearing full plate, now I can't climb. All right, that's sort of okay. All Great. right. That brings me to talking about the thing, the thing with forgetting that is my absolute favorite thing in this book. Alignment languages. Oh, boy. Okay, this book has alignment languages. Your character, for example, if he's lawful good, will speak common, maybe dwarven if he's a dwarf, and he will speak lawful good, a language called called lawful good or lawful goodies or something. And every alignment has its own language, and everyone who's that alignment automatically speaks that language. If you're chaotic neutral and you were raised in a neutral good household, your parents speak neutral good, and you speak chaotic neutral. It doesn't mention who taught it to you or where that came from, you just speak chaotic neutral automatically. If you later switch from being chaotic neutral to being lawful neutral, you forget how to speak chaotic neutral, and now you know how to speak lawful neutral. Now, you may think, alright, well, maybe... Maybe this is a thing granted by the gods of these various uh, different alignments. So, you know, the god of being chaotic, good, went ahead and said, all right, if you follow me, even not purposefully, but you follow me because you are of my alignment, mm-hmm. uh, here is a thing you know how to speak, and when you speak in uh, that way, you are speaking my tongue. Okay, I can explain away that. However, there is the assassin. Oh, yes, the assassin is the only way in the game to learn more than one alignment language. Because normally, while there's rules for learning new languages, it's intelligence minus 12 uh, is the de- the amount you subtract from a year to determine whether or not you can learn a new language, and you can learn a new language for every point of intelligence you have over four- 15, I want to say, but you can't learn alignment languages because they're secret magic languages. Unless you're you an are assassin. an assassin. An assassin can learn anything, which also includes the alignment languages, the language of druids, and the thieves can't. Right, which they should just speak which anyway. Which they should because they are a thief subsection. Yeah, they should just be speaking that. It doesn't really matter. But the assassin can learn alignment languages, which means a neutral evil uh, assassin can speak chaotic good to infiltrate a chaotic good circle. It doesn't explain how they do this, since no one else can do this. Wizards can't cast a spell to speak alignment languages. You can't learn them in schools. So assassins have some secret they're not telling about how they learn extra alignment languages. More stuff about alignment languages. It's a huge social faux pas to speak them. Yeah, in, well, in the if, you, if you speak an alignment language outside of people that are your alignment. So if like, alright, I'm lawful good, I'm hanging out with my paladin buddies, we all speak lawful good to each other. But if I go into the Starbucks and try to order a frappuccino with lawful good, then the barista is going to be real angry at me and tell me to go back to where I came from. Now this is mind-boggling to me because having it be a social faux pas means that everyone knows that alignment languages exist, enough that there is social etiquette codified around them. Yeah. Like, like, what does he say when you come in there and you're still talking to your paladin buddy and you're like, yeah, lawful good, lawful good, blah, blah, blah. And, like, the barista's like, hey, hey, could you guys, would you mind, would you not speak lawful goodies in here? <laughs> but, look, this is America, and here we speak chaotic neutral. Yeah. What, what's he saying to you? What, is he calling your language lawful good? Does that mean that everyone knows what alignments are? And that that's the other thing, is if someone's like, if I sit down and I go, I'm speaking neutral good. Like, that's the alignment language I'm currently speaking. Does someone hear that, and can you tell, by me speaking it, that it is the neutral good language, or do you just go, 
What's all that jibber-jabber going on over there? So this this was so mind-boggling to me that I actually went and did something I never do on System Mastery, which is research. Because I wanted to know why. So I found a question asked of Gary, why are alignment languages in there and what the hell are they? And his response was, oh, they're my attempt to recreate the the uh, way that Roman Catholics in, in Europe spoke Latin to each other as a sort of code language. And also the way that Jews spoke Hebrew to each other as a way to uh, transfer information without people know- knowing about it. So that's what they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be secret religion languages. That's the idea. Yeah, that's the idea. Except, again, that doesn't work because you can't just learn it. I can learn Latin. Yeah, and more more to the point, if I am excommunicated from the Roman Catholic Church, I don't forget Latin and learn atheismo. <laughs> yeah. Automatically. <laughs> I, yeah, I learned atheismo immediately and was like, m'lady. <laughs> I am resplendent in this moment. <laughs> I am euphoric. Euphoric. <laughs> no, it doesn't make any sense, no matter how you look at it. it. The only way it possibly works is, this is a world where everyone knows in alignment they are, and they all magically speak a language automatically that corresponds to that alignment, and that's just part of the world, and, d- and we're done with it. And I guess it would be a faux pas to speak the alignment language in public, because it's immediately just coming out and telling everyone what alignment you are. Which, I guess, telling people what alignment you are is like showing everyone your dick in, in, in D&D world. If you walk into a room, you're like, hey guys, I'm swinging lawful good around in here, what's up with you? Well, I mean, I think it would come down to being either offensive... Or bragging, like if I show up and I start speaking lawful good, everyone's like, yeah, yeah, Gary, we get it, you're so good. You're so lawful about all the good you do. Yeah, okay, buddy. And if you, I show up and I'm speaking chaotic evil, they're like, wow, what a dickbag, that guy is chaotic evil, that guy's yeah. an asshole. What's that, guy, what's that guy speaking, lawful evil? Oh, he thinks he's so edgy. <laughs> I like to think that lawful evil is just paramour lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> Lawful evil is just that guy who wants to talk to you about libertarianism. <laughs> no, he's there's like, too much law. Hey, there's too much law. He on just pr- comes up to you and he's like, "No law in my lawful." Is a man not entitled to the sweat of his brow? And you're like, "Will you quit speaking lawful evil at me?" Does that mean neutral evil is sovereign citizens? <laughs> I'm not driving my car. I'm utilizing a conveyance across the land. Oh. <laughs> Trying to arrest no, me now. That's lawful neutral. No, there's no lawful. They hate laws. It's, it's it is pure it's neutral. True neutral. Yeah. True neutral. <laughs> true neutral. You All druids are sovereign citizens. <laughs> I don't respect your laws, good sir. That is a naval flag. <laughs> no, no one can own the land. Therefore, you do not have a country and laws to tell me what to do. I am a druid. I am another fremen. I am simply a person of personhood. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, that that that's is super weird. That's alignment languages. They're the craziest, stupidest thing in here. Uh, other thing that's super weird in here is poison. We had mentioned briefly oh, the poison, poison usage. Yeah, this book fucking goes off on poison. Where like a whole page of poison hate. So it starts off with, "Hey, poison exists. Don't use it. People don't like it when you use poison." You're like, "That's kind of weird." And then it has another section where it's like, "Hey, if you're using poison." There's a percentage chance every round that the guy you're fighting will notice you're using poison and then run off to tell the guards about it. Which, if I've been trying to murder a guy with a sword for five rounds, the fact that there's poison on the end, he's like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. I know you were trying to stab me in the throat, but poison? I gotta find the police now. And it's not just that. It's a 50% chance that he'll run off and find the guards, a 30% chance he'll try to kill you even harder because he's mad about poison, and a 20% chance he will yell at guards and then try to kill you even harder because he's mad about poison. 
Yeah, great. So there's exact codified options for what happens if anyone sees you and recognizes you for using poison. Which means if you are in a fight and you're losing, the best thing you can do is bring out a vial of poison for a 50-50 shot that the guy will run away to find guards. Yeah, or you could just tell him your blade is poisoned. Like, <laughs> hey man, poisoned blade. And he's like, shit, I gotta go tell a guard. Guard! Guard! I know I was winning this fight, but fuck it, poison! <laughs> Also, Wait. there's an explain, there's an explanation. There's a, there's a part where Gygax wants to tell you why he hates poison so much in the book, and it's just, imagine if you will, a group of archers, and they all have poison weapons, and they find a dragon, and they poison the dragon, and the dragon dies, and they take that dragon's loot. That's not fun at all, is it? Well, no, that wouldn't be fun. However, that would never happen, because you'd have to play a party of all archers. And you'd have to agree with each other to all go poison a dragon. And, and the DM would have to put a dragon there. And in addition to that, you'd have to actually have poison that does that instead of just shit. Yeah, because poison doesn't do murder the thing it hits. Poison does some damage and some constitution drain. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't work the way that, that he wants it to, and he wrote the rules! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, like, part of me, again, is trying, just the same thing with alignment languages, I'm like, alright, alright, so the most evil god in this setting is the evil god of poison. And so everyone knows if you use poison on someone, all you're doing is strengthening this evil god and if he gains enough power, he'll poison everyone. And that's that's why poison is always frowned upon and never use it. And it's like just just don't make poison a big deal in your game. You don't need to make it a big deal and then make it a big deal that players can't use it. That's it's so weird that you did that. There's a section for what happens if you come into town with poisoned weapons and you're like Hey, we just killed this dragon with poison, you guys. This dragon that had been eating all your sheep, we finally managed to kill it for you, so uh, here the it is. The way we did it, though, we're is big, we poisoned we it. We poisoned it. We're big heroes. We killed this dragon that's been plaguing your landscape. Shit, did you use poison? We're going to kill you and scatter your ashes, because poison is worse than dragons. Yeah. the This book, for some reason, fears poison so much that it's like, look... Anyone who sees you using it is going to think you're the worst person that's ever existed. If you show up in a town with poison, everyone's going to try and fucking kill you. If you use poison, that means you, personally, the player, not your character, are an asshole. Like, the whole book goes on about oh, it. Oh, there's and I a go, lot of times. Except you're the one writing poison rules. If you want poison to not be an overpowering evil thing, make it so poison does an extra two damage. Great. Then who fucking gives a shit? Right. There's a lot of times in this game where he gets mad at the players for not being good enough. There's 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 a, a section on how to play the game where he says that expert play and competent play will make the game better for everyone, where incompetent or inexpert play will make the game worse for everyone. I actually have written down that when he's talking about uh, being characters that are good and helpful and being uh, nice to the other people and trying to do uh, cooperative play, that if someone is not, any annoying character should be consigned to oblivion, is the actual phrase he uses. Yep. And then it goes on, that should teach him a lesson. And if he comes back and does it again, continue doing this until he realizes he should be cooperative. It's like he... Don't he talk to your player. Just immediately tell him his character exists in a limbo state outside of our dimension. Right. There's a whole bunch of times in this game, this book where he blurs the line between player and character in stupid ways, or in deeply meta ways, which I, I guess maybe made... Made more sense since this book was written in like 1978 or whatever, and it's like the first role-playing game. But they're so weird when you look at them now. You're like, okay, this character knows what alignment they are. We've established that, and they yeah. know what alignment anyone else who speaks an alignment language is. There's a section on how to divvy up treasure, where he suggests that the way to divvy up treasure is to do it by shares, like pirate booty shares, where you you basically add up 
X amount of everything. Like, oh, the captain gets 20 shares, and each mate gets half a share, and so on. And then you divvy it up by that much and give each person their thing. He says to do it by level in shares. Well, so if your he character... Gives you, he gives you, like, four different ways to he, do it. He gives you three. The first one is just everyone gets an equal share. Hooray! The second one is everyone gets shares equivalent to how many levels of experience they have. And this means if you are dual classing, you only get it to whatever your current class is. So if in, I'm a yeah. level three wizard, but I was a level six fighter, I don't get nine shares. I get three because I'm a level three wizard. Yeah, but the moment you get to a level six wizard, you suddenly get 12 shares. Because you are now also a level six fighter, and that counts. And Except no, in this edition, you aren't. You just get to keep the hit points. Oh, you're, you're right, still yeah. technically but just multi-class, that level. The multi-class, you get them all. Yeah. You get all the shares, I think, rounded down, but you still get all your shares. But here's the thing. The only way that that treasure system works in the game world is if everyone knows what level they are. Yep. So now your character knows what alignment they are and what level they are. Which, okay, I understand that that is supposed to be a, well, I'm, you know, level 10, which means I contributed more than I'm a, a level just 6 a guy. Yeah. Which means that he gives... Me more treasure because I did more contribution because I'm a higher level. So you might say, oh, well, they don't know what levels are. They just know that, well, this guy did more of the work. Except, let's say I go into a dungeon and a level 10 guy sits with his thumb up his ass and does nothing, whereas the fighter who's level 6 does all of the work. It gets to the end, and the level 10 guy's going to take all the shares. That's capitalism. Except that now you got to get to treasure divvying level 3. Because the first one is equal shares for all. The second one is equal shares by level. The third one is equal shares by level, plus, at the end of the adventure, vote on who did the best job, and that person gets an extra couple of shares. Yeah, which... Uh, oh, okay, also, so... Also, in the shares, if you die, you get shares up to the gold made before you died, and then if they res you, you don't get anything that happened after you died. Yeah, because they now it, honestly, everyone else should get bonus shares for dragging your corpse out. Oh yeah, so if you're fighting like a fucking dragon and he's got a giant horde, and you end up like doing a shitload of damage, you're absolutely awesome. And then he kills you, and then they beat the dragon. You get nothing. Get fucked. Get out. Yeah. How dare you let yourself die to the thing I am fighting you with? Well, the end result, though, is that if you do this mo mode where you get shares equivalent to your level and then you have the players vote on who was the best player that game, that means so far your character knows what alignment they are, they know what level they are, they know what class they have, and they know they're being played by people who vote on whether or not they're good. <laughs> no, but again, you could say, in character, all of the, uh, the characters are like, you know... You know, our rogue was really on point, this, uh, crawl in this dungeon. Hey man, thanks for picking that lock. Here's ten gold. <laughs> Great. Uh, oh, and it, another place where it blurs the line between character and player is in the how to map a dungeon section. Because Gygax loved dungeon mapping. He thought a whole part of this game, the whole game within the game, was was uh, the game of telephone where he draw, spends weeks designing a cool map, and then he tells two of the players in the party what the map looks like as they go through it, and then judges them based on how well they respond to the map that he's describing by drawing a map there on their own. Yeah, the, we've already uh, talked about in the uh, the other D&D game we did, yeah. how there was the shot caller and the mapper yeah. as two different things. Well, in this one, the mapper, it literally says that uh, a good mapper will take d diligent notes made by the player, except that he keeps describing it as the character. It's it's real weird. It's like this blurred line where he's like, this elf wizard is an excellent mapper because his player is a good mapper. What if the elf wizard is just a good mapper? What if he's just like, hey, look, I, I'm playing an elf who's really good at making maps. I'm not especially, but my elf is, so he's always on point with the map. Is yeah, that no? I no, that's I, not a thing. It's it's a skill that the player has to have. I have an have an elf with an intelligence of 18 and mapography yeah. as a skill. Yeah, well, except this game is now skills, but whatever. Yeah. So. <laughs> 
But still, he should be like, look, my uh, my elf should know the way to go. He was in there. He has better line of sight than I do. I don't want to play telephone with you. The elf lo- le- learns the fucking map, okay? No, no, it's this is a player skill. This is like like uh, if you accidentally wrote a 17 down in your sheet. That's permanent because that's a skill of you have to have. It's so uh, it's so weird. Yeah, well, it's it's the same thing as the uh, the old. I don't care what your charisma is or what ranks in diplomacy you have. I need you to role play out talking to someone. So the idea that shit that my character should be able to do, the the player has to do, it's found in certain areas. And mapping is just one of those areas where, again, it's it's super weird that he would decide, yeah, this is a thing. This is what I want to go ahead and say, yeah, this depends on the player, but I am having the character do it. While you're wandering around in a dungeon fighting things and checking on what your encumbrance is and making sure your light levels are in a right radius for you to be able to see mm-hmm. because you're an entire party of humans, obviously because demi-humans are garbage, yeah. then, okay, Great, sure, doing all that, while this is happening, my fucking elf magic user is sitting in the back going, Alright, okay, let's see, ten by ten, and then I got, oh, I got room graph is, paper. This room is star-shaped, Jerry. <laughs> I don't want to, God. It's a semi-oval? What does that even mean? Oh, it's a right circular conic cross-section? <laughs> Why are you doing this to me? This room is a parallelogram. <laughs> it's a 10 by 10 by 4 by 8 parallelogram. It's a 6 by 8 by 9 by 2 by 10 by 13 room. Oh, Wait, God. what? It's a, it's a septahedron? <laughs> what, is, what is happening here? I'm fucking with you. It's a septagon, excuse me, but still. No, it's a septahedron. It's, oh, it's a, God damn it. It's a 7 by 8 by 12 by 7 by 13 repeated. <laughs> it's the shape of a soccer ball. Great. Okay, something, we're at 53 minutes. Do you want to talk? This one's going to go over. Fuck it. This game has psionics in it. Yeah, you know what? Fuck it. It's the 50th uh, anniversary. Show. It's the 50th, it's 50th anniversary. anniversary. And by God, we'll spend two hours on this shit if we want to. I don't even care. This book has psionics in it. It's Boy, the howdy o- does it. It's the only base D&D book to do so. Let me let me tell you a little something about psionics. I I am a smart person. Mm-hmm. I I would I would go as as far to say I am. In the, the upper echelons of people who are intelligent. Oh, that's very, very uh, humble of you, yeah. Yeah. Also, I speak lawful evil, mm-hmm. and I just want you to know that the government shouldn't be allowed to... Okay, sorry. No. Okay. I'm I'm reasonably intelligent, and I've read a lot of role-playing games at this point. Yeah. I have a very good grasp of mechanics. You've read at least 50. At least. Mm-hmm. And I read the section on psionics, like seven times and kept going, I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. I've always been obsessed with D&D Psionics, so I was up to speed on this just because they don't really change them that much between this edition and second. Uh, but it's it's just stupid. It's never made sense. It's an overcomplicated rock-paper-scissors combat system. There are the- five attacks and five defenses, and certain attacks only work on certain defenses, and certain defenses can't be turned on unless certain attacks. And it's just... The thing is, it doesn't even have like... Okay, so it goes like, all right, attack A. Yeah. Is the psionic blast is the only thing that can be used against a non-psionic character. So right. this is the only psychic attack that can be used against a guy. Mm-hmm. Tell, doesn't tell you what it does at all. It, it does. Just, it does some damage. It doesn't even. I know it, it doesn't does do damage. it in the book. It, well, it does in the spell descriptions. In the spell descriptions, it tells you the, how much damage it does. The spell descriptions are not those attacks. Spell descriptions are different. There's attacks, defenses. And then whatever the fuck the psionic thing is called, where it's like, these are your spell effects. Mm-hmm. The spell effects are described like spells. 
and have effects that are concrete. The attack and defense are just, you spend points on attack or defense. Well, what does that mean? It means fucking nothing. I forgot to put it in the book. Yep. That's what it means. That is definitely a major issue. But then there's also stuff where the descriptions don't make any sense. Like, there's one, there, there's one that only works on one, or there only one defense can defend against. And it's called, like, Ego Crush or something. And the description is, this attempts to destroy your entire brain at once by making all the synapses fire. It's crazy. It can only be defended against by Intellect Fortress. And then you look at Intellect Fortress, and Intellect Fortress' description is, you try to hide various parts of your brain in rapid succession. It's like, well, that wouldn't work. That's that's small oh, yeah. dodging it's, versus trying to crush everything at once. The fucking mind shield, which again, mind this, shield, that's what yeah, it, thought, so it's, thought shield. Yeah. So the the uh, the like brain crush one is the highest level of the attack. Yeah. And the thought shield is level two defense. Yeah. It's not even like mind fortress. Get fucked. It's no man. It's uh, it's just the thought shield. It, this is sort of a minor one, but apparently the only one that stops the well, major attack because it's rock paper scissors. It's supposed to be rock, paper, scissors, except there's only two or three interactions that work like that. Like, this one can only be used against this one, and this one only works if this one's not up. Like, but they're, but they're in there, so the idea was rock, paper, scissors, and then they just didn't follow through on it. And they also, like, am I supposed to declare what my defense against an attack is beforehand? Because yes. otherwise, yeah, like, you're supposed to cares? do It's supposed to be just like the Street Fighter fighting system from way back in the day. You write down your attack, they write down their defense, you write down your defense at the same time, because you use both each turn. So you write down your attack and defense, they write down their attack and defense, you turn them over, hand over the DM, you flip them over, and then that happens. Good. I'm glad this is happening. And also, this is only for psychic people, which means there's an actual fight going on with everyone else, whereas you are just sitting there looking intently at some other right, guy. Right, because you can't do anything else while you're having a psychic fight. So you, so you're, there's literally, if you have a psychic in your party and they get in a psychic fight with like the, the illithid that attacks them or something, first of all, they're fucked because an illithid is just a psychic. They're really good at it. And they will just... And although, honestly, the illithid is fucked because he's going to try and psionic do oh, stuff. Yeah. And then someone's going to stick him with a sword and he will lose all of his concentration. Yeah. Mind, mind Blast is a cone. So he's going to be like, I'm going to fucking hit all of you with this crazy Mind Blast and there's shit all you can do about it. Unless you have one psychic who's like, I'll attempt to defend against it. So, it, like, it's... I don't know. It's fucking ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Also, it's got psionic points, which are earned by multiplying each of these... So you, you roll percentage first. To see if you're psychic. So, no, well, no, not oh, even just, to see if you're psychic. Yeah. Just what your psychic power is. So you get between 1 and 100 points to begin with. Mm-hmm. Then, for every point of intelligence, wisdom, and charisma above 12, you get, you get more, an additional point. You get more points, but it's a different amount. For each point of charisma above 12, you get half a point. Well, for each of those, you get a point. Then if you get above a certain break point, like oh, if yeah. I have above 15 in any of my stats then I get double the points. Right, that's right. Then yeah, if yeah. I get a, like, if I'm 15 in all three, I get quadruple the points. The end result is that the swing of points you're capable of having, if you're a psychic <laughs> at all, is between 10 and 344. Yep. So, there you go. That's good, I suppose. I mean, you're never going to have that high amount, because it would require you to roll a lot of 18s. Yeah, you'd have to have three 18s and rolled 100 on your percentage. On your, yeah, on your uh, percentage roll. And you would have needed to roll your Am I Psychic check and gotten yes. The maximum chance to be psychic, I think, is like 5% chance. Because again, it's you have a 1% chance to be psychic if you're human. Because other races can't be psychic. Yeah. Although it does add in parentheses, or sometimes dwarf or halfling, and then doesn't explain that further. Yeah, it's just like, oh, you know, or maybe your DM says a dwarf or a halfling. And you're like, Okay. No, your DM will never say dwarf, or, or or your DM just can't say elf. Elves can't be psychic. Don't fucking. Eat. Why are you even asking? Yeah. Why would an elf be psychic? That's dumb. That's so stupid. They should be druids. Oh, whoop! They can't. Lol. <laughs> so. Ugh. Okay. So so 
if you have a very light chance to be psychic, which means this game doesn't have psionicist as a class. Uh, it also, oddly, doesn't have barbarian as a class. I don't know why I thought that was in there. Yeah. I thought this game had barbarian, and it does not. Nope. The, the classes that, that are weird to this game include bard, which is crazy nonsense and looks like a first draft and is like, what the fuck were you thinking? Well, that's why it's in, like, Appendix 2. Yeah. Bard. Even... Even if you're rolling using the method one system, the roll 46, drop lowest, assign where you want, you have a 1.5% chance of being a bard. Yeah. If you roll the, the roll 46, drop lowest, assign where you want, you have a 25% chance of being a paladin. You still have a very good chance of being one of the rare ones. Bard is too stupid rare. It was a mistake. I don't know why the fuck they did that. Anyway, uh, your chance to be a psionicist is 1% modified by how high some of your stats are. But it still only gets to 5% or so is your possible maximum. So there's like 10, 15 pages of this book dedicated to something that no one will do. Oh, yeah. No, there's there's a lot of room given over to shit that no one cares about. Yeah, there's a whole appendix to Bard. No one will be a Bard. There's a whole huge section to, uh, to being a psionicist. No one is a psionicist. Also, I do love that this game, like previous editions... Uh, just assumes you'll have henchmen. It's my favorite. Oh, yeah, there's so much stuff about henchmen. There's, so there's, not only in the character creation does it say, hey, maybe you'll have some guys, whatever, but uh, anything you lack, you'll just make up for in henchmen, because that's what you're gonna do. Yeah. And then there's pages of, like, henchmen loyalty. How much money should you give your henchmen? Is our henchmen learning? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of, like, henchmen care. Like They're like Pokemon. Oh, yeah, it's 100% just like, Hey, did you remember to feed your henchman? Oh no, my henchman died. How much XP does a henchman get? This is one of the big things about this game, and, and I feel like we're dumping, this game is like the first RPG. So we're really, it's kind of like dumping on cave paintings is what we're doing here. Uh, but, yeah, but fuck those cave paintings, <laughs> am I right? That doesn't look anything like a buffalo. Get the fuck out of here, Oog. <laughs> How come all your women are shaped like pears? Come on, Oog. All get sizes are beautiful, Oog. <laughs> beautiful at every size. <laughs> what about women who don't have pendulous swingy hips? Ugg <laughs> no like those. This am Ugg fetish. <laughs> this this Ugg fetish. Oh my gosh, that's my new meme. <laughs> <laughs> Buffalo being chased by stick figure am Ugg fetish. <laughs> First I was chasing Buffalo like this, but then Buffalo chased me like this. Angry baby meme. <laughs> Or that one with a bisected pet penguin. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> or how about the one with the stupid puffin in it? And it's just saying, Ugh, think pooping where, while walking. Not great idea. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> you get, like, confession saber-tooth tiger. <laughs> confession saber-tooth tiger. Ugh wants go gathering instead of hunting. He liked it. <laughs> Also, why are they always talking about themselves in the third person? I don't understand why I decided this. Why are they all named Ugg, too? I mean, there's more names. No, there's like three names. There's Ugg, there's Oog, and there's Ugg. There's Ugg, Oog, and Madison. (laughs) (laughs) Spell with a Y. There's Ugg, Oog, and Bailey. Spell with two Ys. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) How did we get here? (laughs) Okay. Okay. okay, psionics Psionics are terrible. Uh, another thing I really enjoyed, and we never even mentioned this class, illusionist. Oh yeah, there's an illusionist class. And it's, 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 a, it's a wizard. It's a wizard with, with illusion spells instead. It maxes at 7th level spells instead of ninth. And it's described in the book as weaker than a wizard, but sometimes more powerful than a wizard, but also sometimes weaker than a wizard. Oh my god. Okay, which also brings me to my favorite thing, which is the uh, section before you get to monk, where it's like, 
Look, you might be looking at Monk and think, D4 hit points per level? You don't get to wear armor? This is crap. But let me tell you, this guy's awesome. And then it gets to the actual thing of what a monk does, and it's fucking garbage. I like what do you do. You you uh you don't wear armor. You get a D4 hit points per level, and you talk to animals. Oh yeah, it's ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. Also, your cadence just now sounded like the beginning of one of those videos they show teens about abstinence. <laughs> oh yeah, guys, it totally is. you might expect that you're gonna have to make some hard decisions about whether or not to engage in playing a monk. Look, we all thought about being a monk before, <laughs> but is the decision right for you? Sandy, why don't I play a monk to prove our love for each other? Hmm. How about we don't do that? Does that mean I should be a monk? <laughs> oh, I should do this more forcefully. You need a more forceful answer, bro. <laughs> no, monk is garbage. Don't play a monk. Okay, I guess we're late for that sock hop anyway. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. God damn. Okay. God. Because the monk is garbage. It's a D4 hit dice. It's starting at... It, your AC drops down, I think, a point per level to a maximum of negative three. Because this has the old school fake OAC system. Oh boy, does it ever. Also, no explanation for why that's a thing and why not just roll against a positive number. Whatever. Some people like Thacko. I think it's fun. I, I, I mean, I played second edition. I memorized my Thacko tables. Whatever. I played second edition. And even as a 12-year-old, I thought this is the dumbest rule I know. Ever. It was so easy to reverse this and fix it. Like, that's that's my biggest thing. Whenever anyone talks about, like, the old first edition D&D or all of these old role-playing games, and they go, well, look. They're, they're old. People hadn't refined things that well. And I go, as a child who had never read a role-playing game book before, I read this and went, this is a dumb fucking idea. Don't do this. Yeah. And I was a kid. As a actual adult writing this game, why wouldn't you know better? Well, think about it. This book was written in 1978, man. This was before New Math. Ah! I mean, I was before New Math. This, I don't this, care. This book was probably written in Base 16. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know anything. <laughs> he was high on week 70s marijuana. <laughs> he was just using this as an escape from those interminable 70s movies. Oh, gosh. He had seen one too many scenes where a guy talked to a dude in a sheriff's office, and he decided, fuck it, I will talk to guys in a dungeon, d- dungeon office. <laughs> oh, he's getting on the phone now. Oh, he's going to tell us everything he just said in the phone call. It's a one-sided conversation that we will then have him tell us the other side. (laughs) You can tell that we've started reviewing movies, can't you? (laughs) Anyway, moving on to more stuff, because boy, are we ever going over today. Okay, uh, one more thing I wanted to get to in my notes before we get to whatever the hell you've got. The obedience section in the back. by all means. One of my favorites, because not, not only is it obedience like... Hey, your henchmen should probably follow you and do what you say, and they'll do that better if you give them some gold. Okay, great. But it also has, look, if the shot caller tells the DM something, and you say your character wants to do something else, this is gonna muddle, and your DM's gonna have no idea what's going on. He's, he is a weak-minded fool that needs to be spoon-fed information, and if you happen to tell him two things at once... My god, man! How could anyone keep that much in their brain at the same time? If you tell the DM two things at once, guards in the town will notice and kill you <laughs> and scatter on your a, ashes on to a the 50% forwards. chance. Because, <laughs> again, there's like no line. I can see where the satanic panic came from because of this book. Because this book keeps referring to you as your character. The like, thing is, 
I was thinking reading this, I have no idea where the satanic panic came from, because it literally reads like an engineering handbook, where you're like, alright, if you want to have your player be able to make an attack, see chart 4, subsection 3, about his percentage chance to do that. You will, of course, it is assumed, want to have a weapon that has been... And I'm like, oh my god, this is the worst. Yeah. But then again, it's so dense and nerdy that if you were to hand it to a 1981 Southern Baptist preacher and be like, hey, my kid found this, he'd be like, hmm, I don't offhand know what this is. No, what they would do is look at the cover, go, yeah. there's oh, some sort of demon, demon on here. There's a statue of a demon with rubies for eyes. Oh, and like, especially the DMG, which was basically just a demon. Yeah. Like, you'd show that to someone and they'd go, oh, well, this is about the devil. Have you looked inside of it? Of course not. I looked at the cover, and this is about the devil. If you look inside of it, it's just some weird math. One more thing I want to talk about with the monk is that the monk has the same chance to be surprised as everyone else in this game, which is a 33 and one-third repeating chance to be surprised, because that's rolling to one or two on a, two, a d6. Oh boy. But he keeps spelling it out as 33.333%. He he spells out the percent chance for everything that you would do on a d6 yeah. every time. 16.178% chance a ranger is surprised. But anyway, uh, with a monk, it's 33.333 repeating chance to be surprised. At level 2, they lose 1.33333 repeating chance to be surprised. So now they have a 32% chance to be surprised, which means you move from a D6 to percentile. And then, next level, they lose 2% chance to be surprised. Now they're a 30%, which means now they're a 1, 2, or 3 on a D10. Oh, wait, no, D10s weren't going to be invented for six more years. So instead, it's percentile dice No, it's just, the monk is the only person that randomly moves from a D6 to percentiles when doing surprise. Yes, it's it's weird that he put that in there. I, I don't know why he didn't just make it, you know, at 10th level they switched to a 16% chance to be surprised. Whatever, it's fine. This book reads like it was written without stopping or thinking back. Except that there's a whole bunch of QVs in there, so we know he thought about what was coming up. No, this this definitely got edited and a Passover, and someone thought, yeah, yeah, this is good. This is what I wanted. This is exactly what I think will convey everything I wanted to the reader. Right. Also, one more thing I wanted to talk about in this book is that this book is like the first example I've encountered of ultra-adversarial DM tone. Yeah. With that whole don't confuse the DM and the shot color thing, there's also, I'd say, a good two dozen sentences in this that end with dot, 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 because they're ideas for how the DM can menace you. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, if you buy things in a town, be wary, because things are not always what they appear, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> like, or, uh, you know, if you attempt to sell things to a, to a gem a d- dealer, he might be a swindler, dot, dot, dot. Oh, yeah, or even just in the, like, DM advice section where he's like, if your character uh, isn't doing what you think he should be doing, maybe as the DM you should... Learn him a lesson, dot, dot, dot. You're like, oh, fucking shut up. Yeah, just stop it. That's the sort of shit that created an entire generation of bad role-playing gamers. Also, there's a whole section in the monetary system in this game, and you already know the D&D monetary system. I'm not going to go into it, because it's never changed. Gold pieces, electrum pieces, silver pieces, copper pieces. Done. Okay, there's also some platinum. Who cares? This book has a section where it says, it, it tells you about how adventurers work, and I've always liked this. The, the, the D&D world is set around the idea that there are dungeons that you go to, and they're like little gold rush towns. Like little towns spring up, and there's other adventurers going in there, and they have a cool team name like the Fighting Mongooses. And they're like, yeah, we explored 15% of the dungeon. We're doing way better than you. Our RBI is amazing. Our Arby's is amazing. <laughs> we have the best Arby's. 
But then he says, okay, a lot of the people in the town should be constantly trying to gouge you, just like how during the gold rush an egg would cost a dollar and a, and a pick could cost $50. And I'm like, yeah, but during the gold rush, a prospector was a starving man. During the D&D era, a adventurer is a big burly fighter and his wizard friend who can det- <laughs> who can detect lies. They You should not try to cheat them on the cost of an egg. Also, in this game, alignment exists. Which means if your shopkeep happens to be of a good alignment, no, he doesn't try to cheat you. Yeah, he just sells you the thing at the price listed in the book because those book prices are static and real. That's why you can still have spells. They're literally 100% static and set by the universe. Otherwise, you could say, I need to cast, you know, uh... True seeing, which costs, requires a 5,000 gold diamond, and be like, hey Jim, would you sell me that diamond for 5,000 gold? Well, it's just a piece of shit, Jim, it's not even a diamond. <laughs> yeah, but I'll give you 5,000 gold for it, and then we'll say it's a diamond between you and me. Yeah. Okay, I agree to that ter- those terms. Great, hey, would you loan me 5,000 gold? Yep, here it is, don't bother paying me back. Okay, great, I cast true seeing with this 5,000 gold diamond. Yeah, no, the, <laughs> the fact that you have to have things be static is, Sort of well-known, and, like, the game does have a bit of, like, hey, this is a game, don't worry about it, that's what it is, and then does the same thing you're talking about, where it's like, well, maybe they try to fuck you, and you go, no, they don't, you have static values. It's a game. The game doesn't work if you start fucking with that. Yeah, it it just causes your players to be paranoid and murder people. That's all it does. It it says, for example, if you have a gem, make sure you try all the gem stores in the town you're working out of, because one of them may have a slightly better price for you. It's like, that's not worth it. No, that doesn't. You you have a gem, and it's worth X amount of money, and that's what it's worth. Right. If you if your player is like, okay, well, I guess I'll proceed to the next gem store and check the prices there. Oh, very good. This is some fine role-playing. What's everyone else doing? We're waiting while Jerry checks prices on gems. It's no big deal. We don't like adventuring in dungeons. Also, so... What, what town has three gem stores, by the way? <laughs> what the fuck? Is a little tiny hamlet in the middle of nowhere. It's got three gem stores. Isn't that just enough for your players to be like, no, let's go to the good gem store. I don't want to go to Denny's Gems. <laughs> no, the thing is, even if you do, like, let's say, as a player, I looked up and I go, okay, rubies are normally worth X amount of gold. So I go into a store and he says, I'll give you, like, 500 gold instead of 600, which you know it's worth. And you go, okay, fuck that. I go to a different gem store. And you go, I'll give you 550. Okay, that's more, but fuck you, it's not what it's worth. Like, are you ever going to find a place that goes, I'll give you 650, and you go, great, sold. No, Or is not. it just going to be the DM continues to fuck you until you relent? It, do- it never says that the DM should find have a store in the game where they pay you more than the value. So it's it's just a uh, you-never-get-full-value system, and that's that's all it is. Which is fucked up, because gold is XP in this, which yeah. means the GM is just like, no, I don't want you to have as much money yeah. and as much XP. It's it's uh, just such a strange system. Anyway, I think we've probably okay, gone over we should, by... Let's let's go ahead and wrap this up. Okay. So, uh, John, what would you say is your favorite thing about AD&D First Edition? Is it the number of hate letters we're going to get? <laughs> okay. Number one favorite thing in this is the section on XP with gold as XP when they're talking about that. Uh, there's a little aside by Gary where he goes, Hey, you might think that uh, getting treasure isn't a valid way to give experience points to someone. A cleric probably would gain more experience by praying somewhere, and a fighter would probably gain more experience in how to do fighting by practicing and training. However, this is a game. In this game, gold is the measure by how well you did, and how much you get is how much experience you get. It's a game. Don't worry about it. Praying to gain experience is boring. And I went, 
Thank you, Gary. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, the, the fact that the rest of his book undermines that, but the, the thought process of, I put this in here, and it actually is a balanced system of gold to XP. This is a way the system works, and it does work. Just don't try and fuck with it, and it's fine. And then that's a great section, and then he goes on to fuck with it. Right. Now, that's that's an example of a great idea by Gary that got lost through history. Oh, yeah. It's the same thing like the, we're not going to give any penalties to female strength, and then immediately go, yeah. females have a lower maximum strength. Well, that and XP as gold fell out after first edition. It, yeah. was, it wasn't a thing. Just like alignment languages, it was, it just, it was lost. Well, I mean, you still got XP for killing a monster, or one of my favorite things, taking a monster alive and ransoming it. It doesn't say who you're going to ransom it to. Did I take an orc and ransom him back to orcs? <laughs> Well, no, you just started selling him back and forth in the party. <laughs> I brought, I got Jim. I'll sell you this orc for a nickel. <laughs> I, was like, I got a beholder. Who am I ransoming a beholder to that isn't an evil dungeon keeper? Well, it's just part of that. Remember we were talking before we recorded about how uh, paladins, it has a rule in their tithing requirements that they have to tithe to a church to stop them from just tithing to the cleric in the party? Oh, yeah. Well, the same thing, like, the monk can't have too many items. Also, the monk can't just give those items away to other players. No, he has, he to, has give to give donate them to churches and stuff. Which all that means is that your cleric needs to incorporate. That's that's all that means. Like my cleric opens a church when we get to town, just buys like you know one one of the buildings in town and says it's a church. And now the the uh, paladin can tithe there. And wouldn't you know? I just heard from my god that he wants us to use those items. Also, the other interesting thing on that is the paladin tithing thing goes. Oh, you have to give your money away unless you're going to use it for something. Which means, oh, I'm using it to build a castle? Yeah. Do you know how expensive a castle is? I'm keeping all of this. Look, I was going to give my money to church, but I'm hungry. <laughs> but I want a roast beef sandwich from Arby's. Arby's. <laughs> Technically food. We can't do that. We have cheese dudes. Cheese dudes <laughs> Cheese dudes is our thing. We have cheese dudes and we have City of Violence. Yeah, but this is... This is I don't want to associate this game with cheese dudes. <laughs> <laughs> but the 70s version of cheese dudes had this game in their Happy Meals. <laughs> Come on down to Cheese Dudes. Get a free copy of AD&D. First edition. We built the Happy Meal out of it. It's a boat. Why are we calling it first edition? Well, we've got a good feeling about this one. (laughs) It's advanced, Mark. (laughs) Cheese Dudes. Cheese Dudes. It's advanced, Mark. There you go. All right, so... Okay, so there you go. Your favorite thing in the book. Okay, again, I'm going to go with something that is Gary Gygax talking directly to the readers and saying something smart that was lost to history. In this case, it's him explaining what hit points are. Because he says, the first hit points you get are meat. When you're a starting character and you have four hit points, that's meat. That's your chance to die. If you get hit by a sword, you probably die, because swords do a lot of damage. So you don't want to get hit by a sword, because you'll lose all your meat. Hit points you gain after your starting hit points, some of them are meat. But most of them are not meat. Instead, they are your morale, your skill, your luck, and magical factors. He says magical factors, I assume, because like it's supposed to be that if you're bedecked in magic armor, it, it the hit points you gain are equivalent. It, it, it flows across. But the end result is him saying, look, hit points don't mean your hand gets fallen off, gets knocked off. They mean that you get demoralized. They mean that you're starting to lose advantage in the fight. They mean that you're losing the high ground. And eventually, they get down to the point where you are losing meat. It is both things. Yep. And, and then, that's great. That's exactly what hit points should mean. They have never meant the amount of structural damage you can take. He even tells you that it's stupid to think that way. Because <laughs> the, he says, like, look look at it this way. A fighter with five hit points can take five hit points worth of damage. A uh, a bull with 15 hit points can take 15 hit points worth of damage. A fighter with 60 hit points can take fo- four bulls worth of damage before he dies directly. 
If you were to chop meat off four bulls, it would it would uh, kill them at the same rate it would kill one fighter. That doesn't make any sense. It's got to be something else. So it's mostly their morale and luck and so on. Yeah, which the the people that argue for no hit points are your meat are the same people that also venerate Gary as their big groggy go- god. Yeah, and he hated them. It's so weird. He didn't like third edition D anD D, for example. <laughs> it's it's. But anyway, uh, yeah, he he knew what hit points should be because he wrote them in the first place, and it's right. It's very right. Good. Good. What's your least favorite thing? All right, least favorite thing. Uh, let's let's narrow it down to a weird thing in the book. I'm just gonna mention something that sucked that I didn't know until now reading this book because most of the things that sucked I sort of knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't realize healing used to be so punishing. Oh yeah. It's one hit point per day. Yeah. Of rest. Yes. One. And then, one hit point. And then they sometimes give healing powers to the characters in the game, and they are just as bad. Like, you see the monk healing? At 7th level, a monk can heal a d4 plus one hit points once a day. Oh, yeah. There's... <laughs> and I love that they're a little like, look, uh, we'll, we'll throw you a bone here. If you've spent a month resting, now it's two hit points a day. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, game. Get fucked. That only matters if you've taken more than 30 points of damage. Which you should if you're a high level. Yeah. If you've taken more than 32 points of damage. Because it just gets you one day faster onto your feet. Oh, yeah. Well, look. We're all high level. The cleric died. He failed his resurrection chance when we tried to res him. Which means our cleric is permanently gone. So now I have to rest up to get my healing back. And I guess I spend two months with my dick in my hand. Unless it was chopped off. (laughs) (laughs) That was the meat you lost. <laughs> that was it. That was the only meat. <laughs> All you gotta do is rest in bed till it grows back, though, because that's Obvious. how HP meat works. Yep, that's how this works. <laughs> Alright. Okay, so that, that was just one of the random things that I, I did not like at all in this. Sure. Uh, there's plenty to not like, mm-hmm. but I'll go with that. What was your least favorite? There's a section on how to establish your character in the game, like what's your, your character do first after he's been created. Oh, yeah. And it's, uh, okay, well, you'll probably want to give him a name. But you're definitely, definitely going to want to make sure he has an inn to stay in. And you should check that inn to see if it's got burglars. And you should make sure that your room in the inn is secure from burglars. You should also make sure you're getting a good price on the inn so you're not getting swindled. How close is the inn to a restaurant? That's probably going to matter. Have you checked Priceline? Have you checked Have you checked Priceline.edu? Or, have you checked ARPANET to see if there's a... If, if the have internet's you gone been on a message yet? board to see if someone has reviewed this poorly? <laughs> God. I need you to yelp the inn you're in. <laughs> God, that's so terrible for 70s. <laughs> this scene is great. Everything's avocado green and rust brown. <laughs> it was amazing. There's so many little flower patterns on the towels. I love this 70s inn. Three out of five stars. Huh? Huh? Everyone's got a huge stupid mustache. <laughs> Everyone. Everyone. Especially the dogs. Especially the women. No, okay. But it's it's weird because it's all this stuff about like how to make sure that your inn is secure and you're properly paid for and know where a nearby church is. And it takes priority over naming your character. It also mentions that you might wish to consider giving your par- your character a backstory such as parents. But no, it's mostly about making sure the inn you're in is secure. Hooray. And also, at the very end of it, it goes, also, it might be helpful if you know where the other players in the party are and what the, <laughs> and what the inns they're staying in are at, because otherwise it'll be difficult to go on a joint venture, and you might wish to go on joint ventures with the other members of your party. Maybe. I'm, I'm not sure, though. Really, this is more of an inn-judging g- game. Yeah. What we're doing is we're playing Hotels.com Review the Game. And, and to me, this isn't... You know, it's not like... It's one paragraph. It's not like the worst thing in the game or anything. But it represents what Gary does wrong in this book, which is that he just goes off on wild, boring tangents. Well, the, yeah, there are certain things that he thinks 
are important that do not matter at all. Same thing with the whole section in the book on poison. I mean, it probably yeah. would have been my least favorite section if we hadn't come up with it already. He, get, he dedicates a page to telling you the various ways you can punish players for using the poison rules that he put in the game. Yeah. And it's all this stuff like, if your players insist on using poison weapons, have them roll a weapon check every time they use the weapon to make sure they don't nick themselves. Why aren't you doing that all the time then? Like, oh, did you accidentally, did you swing your sword? Check and see if you cut yourself. Yeah. Did oh, you get it out of the scabbard? Did, well, see did, if you did, cut yourself. Yeah, see if you cut yourself. That does a point of damage. Well, okay, but the blade's not poisoned. Oh, never mind then. You're less clumsy when the blade's not poisoned. Yeah. Uh, it's just a whole section of... It's it's a weird thing for him to go off on these massive tangents about, like, insecurity and how lockpicks work. And, you know, how... Oh, there's a whole section on how assassins' guilds work. And that leads to one of the other things in this game that we didn't even talk about, which is that there are, like, three classes in this game that you can't level up in without killing other members of oh, the yeah. same class. Druid is famously the one where it's... You hit level 12 and then you can't do anything until you beat another druid ahead of you in single combat. And, and it's famous because that survived into 2nd edition. Yeah. This one also has that role for assassins, which did not survive into 2nd edition, and monks, which also did not survive into 2nd edition. So both of those classes, like, monk starts early. And monks at level 8, you have to go start finding monks and kicking their asses, which isn't that hard because monks also start early on henchmen. They get two henchmen at level 6, and then they get one henchman per level after that. So they are really good at being like, I'm not even going to fight, you guys fight. Yeah, they, you get to be an old school kung fu movie where you stand in the back as a kung fu master and make all of your dudes run it. The, the legends have it that the reason that the monk in this book is disjointed and part thief and part druid is and part psionicist is because the monk was a request made at Gary's table by one of his players who was like, uh, okay. And then he pulled what he could remember about David Carradine's kung fu show. Huh, huh. And was like, he can do that stuff. All right, have fun. <laughs> Great. And that's why the class is disjointed and nonsense, because it's an off-the-cuff remembering of Kung Fu. Good. That's good. Yeah. I'm glad. So, we've said our favorite and least favorite things. We have indeed. Would you play first edition Dungeons & Dragons? You know, probably. Like, not long, but if someone was like, hey man, I'm running a first edition D&D game, I'd be like, great. Because, the, I mean, one of the biggest issues, I didn't name it as my least favorite because I already said it, but the whole demi-human level cap is actually the worst thing in this game. It's the but worst thing in any game a, where it's like, there. like, a one-shot or a small game, whatever. Yeah, the problem with level cap is that it's established that we both think it's the stupidest thing anyone's ever written, and it's in a lot of games that we review. So, anytime you hear us mention level cap, it's the worst. Yes. Unless the game also has merits and flaws, and then it's a toss-up. I hate merits and flaws. I hate merits and flaws. I, I hate, hate merits and flaws. Ah, the cavity creep. That's me. <laughs> I'm the RPG creep. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, would you play first edition? I have. Well. I mean, I should tell the story. I played this game in a game run by my high school physics teacher. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, he was the sort of guy that would play, like, like uh, marches on a, on an RPM record player in uh, in school. He was, like a th he was a weirdo. So I played a thief illusionist in his game. Because I was playing a gnome, because I didn't know about level cap, and I didn't give a shit. And uh, th I mostly spent my time hiding, because he was the sort of uh, DM who would make the game more versimilitudinous. Like, he'd make sure that we could carry the weight of the gold that we had constantly. He'd be like, how many copper pieces do you have right now? You know those weigh a pound for every ten copper pieces. Huh. That's also a thing about old D&D. Ten, ten coins to a pound, don't worry about the, the actual atomic weight of gold. Because <laughs> yeah. gold, gold is crazy heavy. But anyway, uh, I have played this. I would probably play it again because, again, it's a fun bit of, like, tourism sort of thing. Yeah, it'd just be fun to go back and see, like, oh, I'm playing a weird version of D&D. Yes. So, uh, this is a weird old thing we're doing. If I was playing it, I'd want to play it with all of these rules intact and then get that, that 
you know, super low chance to accidentally roll into something that forces me to be... Well, here's the funny thing. If you have a, a five or less wisdom, you are forced to be a thief, right? Yeah. But you are supposed to play this rule where you, this game by the rule where you put your stats where you want to. Which means you might as well put that five in wisdom if you, if you were planning on playing a thief. Yeah. Like, it's very rare for a character to be actually forced into a class they don't want to. You have to roll a bunch of fives. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying, is if you roll that low... Then you have, like, four different things telling you what you have to be, though. Yeah, that's great. I have to be a thief and a, pl- a cleric and a fighter, you guys. Except I can't because there's actually minimums on stats for demi-humans, so I didn't hit those. Oh, right. This game has minimums and maximums on demi-human stats, which is funny because it means that, that you know, an orc will have, or half-orc will have a maximum de- dexterity of, like, 16, but they don't have any penalties or bonuses to that. It's just if you happen to roll an 18 and you want to play a half-orc, set your dexterity to 16 and deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Great. Yeah, whatever. So there you go. Uh, we would both sort of play this game as a tourism example. Yeah. Okay, uh, that has been a system mastery review, a very long-winded system mastery review of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. Thank you for possibly sticking with us for this entire podcast. It was either this or do two episodes on it, and I did not want to. And thank you not just for sticking with this long podcast, but for sticking with us in the podcast in general. Yeah. It's been two years, it's been 50 episodes. 50 episodes in two years. Oh wait, 50 years in two episodes. Yeah, two episodes in 50 years. One of them in 1965 and then now. And then now. Yeah, oh my gosh. Um, What a run. Join us 30 years from now. For the next episode. Wow, we're stepping up our production schedule. Oh yeah, well, I mean, you got to. The the audience demands it now. (laughs) It's true. Anyway, I'm, for one, I'm super glad that that whole Bay of Pegs thing is over. (laughs) Yeah, finally. Yeah. Now. Oh, uh, who's in the office right now? Is it still Lyndon Baines Johnson? <laughs> Not my president. <laughs> All right. We just woke up from 1965, and we can't remember any details. Uh, uh, those men sure are mad. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. <laughs> All right. So, as always, this has been the System Mastery Podcast. You can find us on SystemMasteryPodcast.com, or Facebook, or Twitter, or Gmail. All of those are just System Mastery. Uh, follow us, give us rates and reviews on iTunes, Send us your comments and questions. Make sure to send us lots of good questions because we do our weekly afterthought show as well where we answer fan questions and we love doing that. It's our favorite thing to do all week. Yep. And uh, be sure and if you want bonus content, oh, yeah, we're gonna do check out our content. Patreon. If you uh, subscribe to us, you give us any amount of money, you get full access to all of our bonus content. And what we do is we create characters in the systems we've just reviewed. So... Out today, the same time as this is, we do have our bonus content where we have created first edition D&D characters. What an exciting time we live in. No one's ever made first edition D&D characters before. Do you think we'll get that 1% per 5, 5% chance of getting a bard? God, I hope so. That would be amazing. No, I'll get I'll get the stats to be a bard, and then I'll just play a fighter. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, I, I, well, that's what a bard is when we make first level characters. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Someday I'll be a bard. Someday. So yeah, bonus content will go up every time that we do a system mastery. So please go and support the Patreon. It helps us out a lot. And uh, we are rapidly approaching that $200 goal. That's a big deal. Thank you all so much for listening. Again, it has been a wonderful two years and 50 episodes. Uh, and we hope to do so much more for you in the future. So thank you so much for listening. And have a good one.